Hello, my name is Matt Deemer, and this is Cuyahoga Today, brought to you by the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please click the five-star rating and leave us a nice comment. It helps people find this show and give them confidence when they click on it. If you're on any other app, like Spotify, there are also places where you can leave five-star ratings as well. If you have any questions or comments for me or the guests, you can reach out to mdiemer at kydem.com. That's mdiemer at cuidem.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk to two people on both sides of Issue 38, also known as the People's Budget or Participatory Budgeting. The first person we're going to talk to is Cleveland's Ward 13 City Council member, Chris Harsh, who is against Issue 38. The second person we're going to talk to in the latter half of the show is Molly Martin, who is the campaign manager for PB Clee or the People's Budget Cleveland, and she is for Issue 38. I talked to them separately, first Chris and then Molly, but I asked them pretty much the same questions so I can get their own personal interpretations of what does participatory budget mean, how it's going to positively or negatively affect Cleveland's annual budget, how it's going to be implemented, and how it's going to affect voting, the people, and communities. I hope you find this as educational and entertaining as I did. And if you want to know more about either side of this issue, Chris and Molly both will let you know where to go in this episode. If you want to see them both discuss and debate this, they'll be having an official debate about issue 38 at the Little Theater inside Public Hall, which is at 500 Lakeside Avenue. Get there by 530. There's only 600 seats. The debate starts promptly at six o'clock. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Chris Harsh, City Council Member for Cleveland, Ward 13. How you doing? Welcome to Cuyahoga Today. I'm good, Mr. Deemer. How are you doing? Mr. Deemer? Well, you that's know. a first. Be polite. Well, <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We're here today because we're talking about participatory budgeting. I'm going to come in with a clean slate. I don't have an opinion one way or the other because I have two people coming on. Mm-hmm. Yourself and Molly Martin. Mm-hmm. You are in the position of being against this or participatory participatory budgeting in general mm-hmm. or this form of it and we're gonna get into that in a little bit mm-hmm. and molly is for it but first please do me a favor just introduce yourself for everybody yeah sure so i'm chris harsh i represent ward 13 in cleveland that is the old most of the old brooklyn neighborhood from about the zoo down to parma and from the brooklyn border over to about broadview road so twenty-five thousand people uh in my ward thirty-five thousand in old brooklyn and uh, I just started this position last January. I took, o- uh, took over the seat that Kevin Kelly left open. Okay, excellent, excellent. So are you for or against participatory budgeting? Yeah, I'm against participatory budgeting in this iteration. This charter amendment that they've drafted up is an, a really big problem for the city of Cleveland, and I'm encouraging people to vote no on issue 38. That will be the uh, November ballot number. I don't dislike participatory budgeting as a concept, as a big, large concept, and I really support some ways to do this in uh, CMSD and other school settings. But as it's being proposed to the voters as issue 38, it's terrible, and people need to learn about this because it will cause some really, really bad consequences and problems for the city. Okay, so this is a new word that I think a lot of people probably don't know. What is participatory budgeting? Yeah, great. So it started actually in Brazil in the late 80s. There was a military rule in their country and a political party that was trying to encourage people to vote for democracy were figuring out ways to get people to pay their taxes because most tax money went back to the military, which wasn't making the people in in Brazil happy. So this group came along and said, what if we let you decide how to spend the tax dollars? Would you then be willing to vote for us and pay your taxes? And it actually worked out pretty well. People did vote for them. 
they did start paying their taxes. Revenue went up a lot. And then they were able to turn some of that revenue back over to the people as a way to encourage them to participate in democracy. It then spread to Europe and uh, took hold there a little bit in different countries and started in America about 12, 15 years ago in select cities. Okay, so what, what does it mean here in Cleveland then? Yeah, the, the broad idea is to allow residents to vote on projects that would then be funded through a uh, allocation of general fund finances that city council would set aside every year. And right now I hear it's around $14.5 million. Yeah, so the legislation that they drafted, or I'm sorry, the charter amendment that they, that they drafted, requires 2% of the city's general fund to go into a participatory budgeting fund. Um, so right now the general fund is about 710 million, I'm sorry. Yeah. 710 million dollars. So that'd be about 14.2 million, uh, in today dollars. And who's going to control this 14.2 million dollars? It's actually entirely controlled by a 10 member board and an 11th person who works for the mayor. It would be the job of the mayor and city council to appoint these 10 people, but then they have carte blanche control over all $14 million. They're supposed to take input from the residents, but it actually isn't really even required in the charter language. So, okay, just because I'm going to add two and two together, if city council is appointing their buddies for the most part to be in control of $14.2 million, it seems as though this is the extension of the city council and member and how they want to spend that money. If you wanted to be cynical against against participatory budgeting, we call it PB, by the way, for short, um, you could easily argue that the board will be staffed with people who are going to follow the same old, same old, and are going to make sure that the money goes where people want it to go anyway. The sort of idealistic idea is that these 10 people would have a broad interest in getting more voter participation and listening to ideas from the community. It's not technically required in the charter, which is odd, but the idea is that they would set up a voting process for people to pick projects and then they would implement those projects after the vote. Okay, you said that you don't like this iteration of PB, participatory right. budgeting. And is it because of the way that this is structured? Yeah. In every other city that does this, it's typically handled on a ward level. So in Chicago, where they've been doing this for about 12 years, they have 50 wards in the city of Chicago. Uh, each ward has about 55,000 people. And I, I think currently only nine wards still do this. It was They were at 12, but a few of them stopped it. And in those wards, it's the individual council's discretionary funds that are up for discussion. So the council person can set up an election process, let people vote, and then decide how they want to spend their discretionary funds for their award. But they can decide any way they want. They're mm -hmm. not beholden to the process. Right. Um, so only in Cleveland are we actually talking about attaching this A to our charter and B, a percentage of the general fund every year. Okay. So I just want to clarify this. You are against this iteration of participatory budgeting. However, if there were different ways participatory budgeting were to come into effect that gave more power to the wards and the people in general, you might be for it. So I've always supported a CMSD version of this. I think one of the interesting concepts at play here is the idea of bringing new voters into the political process. And I really like the idea of setting up something with our high schools and having something akin to a science fair, but like a civics fair, where people could pr propose ideas. Maybe we could put a million dollars throughout the school district district and then vote on those ideas between schools and go to a citywide civics fair and have maybe a million dollars. We could do that with philanthropic partners as well as with CMSD. And in the process, register 17-year-olds to vote in the next election if they're going to be 18 in time and try to get people thinking about taxes and tax allocation. Mm. I've always liked the idea of doing this as a school-based project, but as a percentage of the city's general fund, it's disastrous. I mean, we have to make cuts somewhere. We can't just take 2% of the general fund away without figuring out where it comes from. Mm -hmm. It's really important for Clevelanders to remember this, too. 
This year, for the first time, we passed a structurally sound, a structurally balanced budget for the first time in decades. We passed a budget that spent all but $200,000 of the city's general funds. We had less than $200,000 left over after this year's budgeting process. So in order to take $14 million out of that budget, we have to figure out where we're taking it from. And this is something the PB supporters really don't like to talk about. They always just say, well, that's council's job to figure it out. And when we say, okay, well, you know, the largest expense in the general fund is police. Right. Should we take it away from that? And they say, oh, we didn't say take it away from the police. And we're like, right. okay, well, it's more than the entire Department of Aging's entire budget. Should we take away from that? And they say, well, we didn't say that. We say, okay, well, it's also more than the entire building and housing department. Should we slash building and housing? Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, we didn't say that. They want us to make these cuts, but every time we put out a a way to make the cut, they say, oh, well, we're not saying to do that. The problem is we have to make that decision of where to make cuts. There's just no other way to do it. What did you do before this job? Uh, I was 45 when I got elected, so I spent 30 years in the workforce um, doing everything from, you know, my first job was I was a janitor's aide at my my own high school. Uh, I was a community organizer for a number of years. I was a labor organizer. I worked for the American Federation of Teachers, and as such, I actually negotiated contracts for my, my bargaining unit. I was a, in a union when I worked for the union. Um, so I've actually been at the table trying to negotiate cost of living increases. And one of the problems with taking 2% of the general fund away is that you incredibly hamper, there's 38 bargaining units in, in city hall and take EMS. They come to the table and they want to negotiate raises for their members. If the city sits across the table and says, seriously, we've lost 2% of our general fund for the last three years. That destroys their bargaining position. They don't have the ability to claim to, to ask for more money for their members if the city is continually losing money to this PB fund. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I've worked uh, in a lot of different things. Um, I, you know, I've, I painted houses and I drove a taxi cab. You know, uh, I've, I was a, a working Joe for for a long, long time before getting into this position. Um, but I learned a li- little bit about how cities work what before they call I got that here. A, a jack of all trades, a renaissance man. Yeah, you know, you can, you, can, you can say that if you want. Okay, okay. So in your words, how did participatory budgeting come about and make it on the ballot? And I'm asking this question yeah. for a simple reason. I've heard that uh, the organizers of this went to city council and said, hey, give us a half a million dollars to do this and just try it out. And you guys said no. Then uh, Slife, I think, came out, who is the uh, city council member for Ward. Is it 17? 17, yep. 17 came out and said, well, that wasn't the case. It was more like $5 million. And uh, so they, they weren't asking for 500000 And then they said, you know what? If you guys aren't going to help us out, we're just going to get this on the ballot without you. And yeah. this is what we heard. Can you tell yeah. us Yeah, so, so this story gets retold in all kinds of goofy ways. Here's what they did. So did I just tell it a goofy way? No, no, no. You, 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 you kind of hit the main points. So they, they wanted ARPA funds at first. They wanted um, $5 million in ARPA fund to be reserved for them. But the legislation that they were pushing that day is that they wanted 550000 just for administration of the program. Their first order of business is always to get themselves paid. This, this should not be okay, lost. So, uh, oh, so, so administration meaning I, we're, we have salaries that we want to allocate to X amount of people. That's it's right. It's going to come out of this. That's right. Gotcha. The first thing they asked for us was $550,000 just for administrative costs to run the process. Then they wanted us to hold $5 million in ARPA funds off to the side for whatever came out of the other end of that. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly irresponsible for city council to allocate $5 million on a fund that we don't know what it's going to. Mm -hmm. There are people with real requests and and needs in this city, and we had to weigh that against the I don't know of participatory budgeting, and we said no to that. You can't have $550,000 just to come up with a process, and we're not going to hold $5 million for you later when we don't know what that money is spent on. So Mm -hmm. we said no to that, uh, which apparently upset them. Although at the time we were always proposing alternatives, including the CMSD option. 
they then went out and they got this on the ballot, to be frank, by paying. They spent over $3 per signature. They spent $20,000. Wow, that's big. They spent $20,000 to get 6,400 valid signatures. That's over $3 per signature. They talk all the time about their grassroots campaign. And yes, there were volunteers. There's volunteers on every project. But they ultimately spent over $3 per signature. And that's how they qualified for the ballot. Why do you think the other side has the position they do? Yeah, I think that what they claim is that they're concerned about low turnout. So Cleveland averages about a third turnout, you know, give or take, which election cycle. And they claim that their concern is that not enough people are participating in our democracy. What's ironic to me is that we've been doing PB in America for over a decade and never has it gotten more than 5% of an electorate to be involved in the first place. PB is not wildly popular at all. Hmm. And one of the reasons is that it's a whole new process. That no, what do you mean it's not popular? It's not popular in Cleveland or in general? Anywhere where okay. they've done it. And in Chicago, in that ward I was telling you about, Ward 49, with 55,000 people last year in 2022, they had 548 people come out for their PB election. That's less than 1% of the population of that ward. And that was in their 12th year of doing PB. You would think after 12 years, it would have caught on. It doesn't. And as a matter of fact, Long Beach in 2014 bragged that they had the highest PB turnout ratio percentage in the nation. Their turnout that year was 4.9%. Five years later in 2019, Cambridge, Massachusetts smashed it with 6.7% turnout. And I've never seen anyone else go over 5%. They, I think, are misjudging why people don't vote. And because of that, they've got, they're trying to answer the wrong question. Can you tell me a pro from their side? Look, we can sit here and tell your side the whole time, but I want you to help yeah. me just look at it from their, their point of view. What, mm-hmm. what is a pro from their side? You know, the organizers behind this are very willing to engage. They're not shy, and they're, they're happy to get out there on Front Street and talk about issues in, in the city. And I think that's a good thing. Like, we should always be having more conversations about what's going on in, in the neighborhoods and in the city. And I think they're good at that. I think that they, you know, want to engage people and they want to genuinely be involved in the the welfare of the city. I think that they've picked an issue, though, that has no teeth and mm-hmm. it's, it's destined for failure. I mean, I don't know if we have time to get into it, but they're going to set up a citywide election process for 13-year-olds. And I don't know how they're going to, A, ensure that only Cleveland residents vote, B, ensure that people don't vote multiple times, and C, how do you tell the difference between a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old? They don't carry ID. <laughs> and, and they're not using the Board of Elections. They can't go through the BOE. The BOE doesn't have files for people under the age of 18. Right. They just can't administer this election. So they've got to come up with a whole new process that's going to cause people to spend even more time than regular elections. Uh, they've got to figure out how to police that election when they don't have state authority to even ask for ID. If you go to vote at the PB election, they can't say, show me your ID. Mm-hmm. They have no authority to do that. The state didn't give them that authority. So they've, they're going to have this wildly inaccurate election that's going to allow some people to vote as many times as they want. It's going to allow people outside the city to vote. And that's a whole headache that they don't really have an answer for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have a, and again, this is, we're talking about nutshells here, and we just want to put those out here uh, for the Cuyahoga County Democrats and whoever else is listening to mm-hmm. this as well. Anybody who in Cuyahoga County, because this is Cuyahoga today. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing this because you have a city club debate coming out. Can you tell us about the time, the date of that, what's going to be the format, and how can people more find out more about your positions sure. on PB? Sure. So yeah, we are having a debate. It's going to be at Public Hall, which is right across the street from City Hall. It's going to be on Tuesday, September 26th at 6 p.m. The room we have holds about 300. It's first come, first serve, but it's entirely free. Um, So come on down, uh, however you want to get there. 
And it will also be broadcast by TV20, and it'll be on TV20's YouTube page as well, so you'll be able to watch this debate. It's being hosted by Carrie Kofer, who is the CMSD debate coach at Rhodes High School, and she also works at Hathaway Brown. She's in the Hall of Fame for speech and debate in Northeast Ohio. She's great. She's going to moderate. This isn't like a media debate where there's going to be a journalist up there asking us softballs. This is one issue. The, there is a resolution that the benefits of PB outweigh the harms. They're going to affirm, and I'm going to negate. And where could people people find more information about your right. position on PB? You can check me out on Facebook. I'm Christopher Harsh. That's Christopher K. Um, and Harsh, like the adjective. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Chris Harsh, at K-R-I-S-H-A-R-S-H. Um, there's information there. I really want to drive traffic to the debate. I was a debater in high school, and I've always thought that we need to have more policy discussions in public, um, open to the public. And I really hope that actually we can kick off an annual debate and do this once a year on different issues. I think next year, people want to debate whether or not there should be public funding for stadiums. Mm. I think that'd be a really, really interesting topic to debate. Or jails. Or jails, you know, or or issue 24 is is Charter Section 115 succeeding, yes or no. Um, And I I think there's an opportunity for us to get more public discussion about policy issues. So this is going to be a straight up policy debate. It's going to be one hour. Um, it's timed. There will not be people rambling and going over time. Um, so it's going, it's going to be a really good event. I, I'd like people to come check it out or look at it on YouTube later. Um, we're going to go through everything. And it'll be six weeks or five weeks before the election. So the ballots won't be out yet. You'll have time to watch this and then make a decision. Mr. Harsh, thank you very much for coming on the show. <laughs> Mr. Deemer, I appreciate you. Molly Martin, community organizer for PB Cleveland, People's Budget Cleveland. Welcome to Cuyahoga Today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Absolutely. We're coming in here to learn about the People's Budget, Issue 38. Other people know this as participatory budgeting. We'll go into that maybe in a little bit. But before we get into all of that, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am the campaign manager of People's Budget Cleveland, which is a grassroots coalition of hundreds of Cleveland residents and over a dozen community-based organizations that do civil and human rights work and organizing work to get Issue 38 passed. I also do organizing with the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless and currently work with them on a couple of different projects, including a current lawsuit against the Secretary of State over a House bill that passed in January that requires a state ID to vote and also eliminates voting on the Monday before Election Day. And this is a form of voter suppression to the many people in Cleveland who are homeless, who don't have birth certificates or the documentation to even get an ID. And right now my my time is spent Um, on this campaign. I grew up in Cleveland on the west side. My parents were actually bought out by the airport when I was starting first grade. And so after I went to public school in Fairview Park, I I moved away for about 10 years and moved back in 2019 when my dad passed away and have been doing organizing on the near west side on homeless civil rights issues and now on direct democracy and, and deepening democracy in Cleveland through the People's Budget campaign. I'm sorry about your father passing away. Um, you are for issue 38, just to make that abundantly clear before we move forward. In your words, what is the people's budget slash participatory budgeting? We see the people's budget as a way that we can begin reimagining what 
political participation and resident participation looks like in the city of Cleveland, given the fact that two of three residents don't vote. And participatory budgeting is a process that is used, has been used in hundreds of cities across the United States to give residents real power to make real decisions over how public money is spent. It's a process that gives residents the opportunity to pitch ideas. A resident-led steering committee works with those residents to turn ideas into proposals and then ultimately all residents of Cleveland, high schoolers, people who aren't registered to vote, people who might be residents but not citizens can vote on those projects and prioritize how that money is spent in their neighborhood. And so how does that structure work? And how does that um, come from, say, the city council to the mayor's office to the people to get those funds allocated? Yeah. So in cities that have done participatory budgeting, oftentimes it's city council members who use discretionary funding to create a process by which their constituents can raise ideas and then vote on those projects and how they're spent in their wards. But what the people's budget is doing is doing something that a lot of communities have said would make PB more successful, which is to actually institutionalize this process in city charters to make it a guaranteed thing that the city, that city hall is responsible for implementing every year. So it's kind of a way of collaborating collaborating directly through a process with city council, with the mayor's administration and staff people from departments, and then with residents directly who either could serve on a steering committee if they apply. Um, uh, the mayor appoint the mayor's office appoints five members of the committee. There's a city staff person on this committee, and then city council appoints five. And these folks are are tasked with creating a process of engagement where they're putting on community events and getting ideas from residents. And ultimately those ideas are vetted into proposals and then residents can vote on them. So you just brought up something that I just want to touch on a little bit. If city council is appointing people, is it not that they just might just appoint their friends and next thing you know it's just an extension of their city council you know, position? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a common criticism for the 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 structure of appointments, you know, for bodies. There's very strong language that the city would be legally required to follow on on who should make up that committee. We're trying to deepen engagement for people who aren't registered to vote and people who aren't what you would call the usual suspects in processes. And a lot of the representation of people on that committee has to include communities that have historically been marginalized in Cleveland um, and uplifting identities of, of folks who could benefit from more public services such as people who have been unhoused, people who have been incarcerated, people who are disabled, people who are LGBTQ. Gotcha, gotcha. So how did participatory budgeting come about on the ballot? So this is what I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, that you, now I'm using you as the coalition, the PB coalition, went to city council and said, hey, give us 500 grand for this. They said no. Um, Slife, uh, who is the city council member for Ward 17, he talked to I think the Cleveland.com playing dealer the other day and said actually actually you guys you guys saying the coalition asked for five million dollars uh they turned that away and then you then you guys the coalition said uh you know what we're not dealing with this we're gonna go out to the streets get signatures put this on the ballot and allocate two percent which is about 14.2 million dollars of the general fund every year of Cleveland uh to participatory budgeting is is that correct or what happened so when we formed two years ago, the People's Budget Coalition started 
during the the pandemic when Cleveland was given half a billion dollars from the federal government through American Rescue Plan Act funds. And a lot of residents and people in grassroots groups were like, that's, you know, the amount that we get every year for the general fund. How are they how are they deciding how that money gets spent and who should be prioritized in the spending? Especially, well, Let me just stop you right there. I apologize to cut you off, but I just want to clarify the federal government gave $500 million in ARPA money, which is basically double the yearly revenue, the yearly fund of Cleveland. And basically they had double the money and your the coalition's like, how are you going to spend that? Make sure that it comes to our communities. Yeah. And how are we, you know, oftentimes residents feel like when it comes to community engagement, people get to to make public comment or, or set up a meeting or come to a meeting. And it's usually at the end of a process. And it's just kind of a rubber stamped thing where is that really a direct say? Mm-hmm. And people's mm-hmm. budget is like, how are we having more direct involvement in a process where people are not voting on people, they're voting on projects in their neighborhood. And given that this was one time money from the federal government, you know, a lot of social justice movements and a lot of innovation that humans create comes from crisis and we in as a community the coalition felt that this was uh, a great opportunity to to start participatory budgeting in Cleveland mayor Bibb thought so too and several members on city council and they had co-sponsored legislation that we were advocating for 30.8 million of ARPA because that's the poverty rate of Cleveland and it went down to 5 million and that legislation was introduced in January. It was 5.5 million. So if you really want to get technical about the numbers, you would reference 500,000. It was 5 million on projects that residents vote on and half a million dollars to actually do the process because you know you need flyers, you need events, you need childcare, you need to actually market and, and, and publicize a community election for residents to actually know about it. Mm-hmm. And that legislation was tabled by city council all of the men on city council came to a finance committee meeting and it talked about how they feel that they're elected to to be representatives to make those decisions on behalf of residents and pp pushed back because we feel like in a city where two of three residents don't vote where multiple members on city council have been appointed to their seats initially and when residents know best and you know the spending decisions of council should reflect the the needs and the will of the constituents that they're representing that we could probably make the case that five million dollars of ARPA would be money well spent to help deepen engagement in the city. And we voted as a coalition to go to the ballot when there was not a legislative path forward to do PB. And our coalition voted and we wanted to take it to the ballot and we wanted to do what a lot of cities around the U.S. have been calling for, the cities that have been doing PB, which is like we should institutionalize this in the city charter so that we're not going back every year and just trying to use discretionary funding from city council members. Because the origins of PB in the U.S. were council members in Chicago who started PB in their wards to to let residents decide how that money was spent. I remember the Cleveland.com on their podcast um, today in Ohio, they've talked about the county council's uh, money that was allocated to them, and they called it a slush fund quite a bit. And they basically said the county council had their little fiefdom, and they used the money in the ways that they wanted to use it. That was probably beneficial to their friends and their uh, re-election, and so on and so forth, talking about taking this money that could have went to, say, schools or communities to build up infrastructure, building up golf courses in in, in certain cities and stuff like that. Was this your concern with this $500 million that was being allocated? I, I think the concern was just about this growing sense of mistrust of government and what are we doing to create more on-ramps 
for democracy for people and to increase that trust. And I think when you look at the history of our city spending, we have made a lot of decisions as a city to pad the profits of billionaires in a city whose outcomes for its residents have not increased over time. And the people's budget is really saying, you know, when, when CMSD reported over 1,700 homeless students two years ago, why are we giving handouts to billionaires who want a new stadium and to developers who can afford to finance these projects that don't fund our schools mm. in our city? And so our slogan has been streets over stadiums. We should trust that residents are going to make decisions that are going to improve the lives of young people and their neighborhoods. And that it, and it's worth really creating a mechanism in government to create more seats at the table for everyday residents who don't feel represented when we look at the, the enormous amount of public spending we've spent on stadiums over the last 20 years and what the the city continues to spend by the time the people's budget would go into full effect because it would phase in over four years to give the city some time to adjust to this new process. It's the same year that the stadiums paid off. And if you look at the mayor's estimate, you know, we transfer 10 to $12 million a year from the general fund to the stadium fund. And I think what we're trying to say is how are we building more popular democracy and more um, ways of accountability to, to, to really understand and teach the public um, transparently, how are we making decisions on, on how we create debt in the city and then ultimately how our, our general fund, which is taxpayer dollars, is spent. The stadium will pay, be paid off in four years if we don't allocate another billion dollars for renovations. But that's another story. Um, why do you think the other side has the position they do? There's a lot of need in Cleveland, and I think that there are a lot of people at City Hall who are working really, really hard to be responsive to their constituents. And I know a lot of really brilliant people who who work at City Hall and who are are serving on City Council. And I think that they're that like most things, like change is hard. And I think when the public is when residents of Cleveland are trying to give a mandate to the city to say we need to create more infrastructure to increase engagement and trust that that's work and I think change is hard and and I think you know I think that there this idea of representative democracy goes really deep for folks who work really hard to represent their neighborhoods and we're coming you know out very strongly about how there are more systemic issues at play which is that two of three residents don't vote and, you know, when we look at the history of spending in our city, I think that there's a lot that residents can learn about how things are done at City Hall. And I think that just like anything, um, you know, this is creating an on-ramp to people who are being educated about how democracy works. And that's a, a, a form of education for people. And I think that there are people who are being brought into political education around democracy on this. And so maybe that feels threatening to some members on city council rather than an opportunity. But we want to see this as an opportunity for residents and the health of democracy in our city. You kind of did this in your, in your last in your answer to that last question, but I'm going to ask this anyway. Tell me a pro from their side. What is something that you can, I guess, you, you feel? You're like, oh, you know what? They have a point there. Like, what's a, what's, a, what's a good thing that they're saying? What's a pro? You know, I think to be fully transparent, I, th I, I think something that's been really hard about this is that we ultimately understand that what we're advocating for has to be implemented within City Hall. And PBCLE really wants to collaborate with City Council. And why would we want to be on opposing sides of this when issue 38 passes and it has to be implemented at City Hall? We want to collaborate with City with city Council. And if they ultimately get to review applications of residents who want to serve on this committee and they get to appoint them, 
um, I, I I think that if they have concerns around the steering committee, that that should make us on both sides of the table say, hey, we should double down to actually do this right. There are ways that we can do this right and make this a good opportunity for the city. And, you know, last week, um, the first week of September before the Board of Elections deadline, PB Klee did go to city council offering to negotiate for a lower amount, knowing that we want to get, you know, most PB projects voted on in cities. Uh, in other cities are implemented by city workers and by union workers. And we want to see more unity among labor and among city council and among the public. And we were willing to go to the table and that negotiation was rejected. And now we're moving forward with the charter amendment as is. And I think when you look at our history of spending on stadiums, we feel confident that residents being able to prioritize how $14 million spent a year is, is good use of our city dollars and, and it's not an additional amount of money it's a process for for how we decide how future money um into the city is is decided on last question um you have a debate coming up uh about issue 38 uh, when where is that and where can people find information about your positions on pb clee pb clee right yeah okay some people say PBCLE, and that's acceptable. I like PB Clee. <laughs> I like PB Clee. People can go to www.pbclee.com and they can subscribe to get updates on the campaign. We are knocking on a lot of doors this fall, so if people want to volunteer, um, there's also icons on our website to our social media pages. And the debate is going to be hosted at the Public Auditorium on Tuesday, September 26th at 6 p.m. Doors will open at 5.30. I encourage people to take public transit, but there is parking available at City Hall until 11 p.m. across the street, and that, I think, is the cheapest um, And what was parking. the date again? Tuesday, September 26th, okay. 6 o'clock. We also have another forum coming up on the first Saturday in October at um, a church on the east side, and we're finalizing details. So if folks go to our website, we are trying to plan more public town halls um, to present more information on what folks are going to be voting on on November 7th when it comes to issue 38. Molly, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to come on and talk to us about this. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party's podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Tune in next week for our latest show and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. Show your support by going to www.cuydem.com and make a contribution. Do you have any questions about the show? Is there a topic you want us to cover? Or is there someone you want us to interview? If so, you can reach out to me at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. That's M-Deemer at Kydem.com. Thank you again for joining our podcast. Until next week.